Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Simbox Present. Let's talk boxing with your hosts, Luke and Ewan. All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of Let's Talk Boxing. Thanks for coming back and joining us again. It's Ewan hosting again, and I'm brilliant. Bobby Gunn, how you doing, Bobby? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, very good, thank you. Obviously, we've had a massive week of boxing coming out of uh, Eddie Hearn's fight camp finale. I think we should just jump right in because what a finale it was and what a punch from Alexander Povetkin. Yeah, it was unbelievable, mate. Um, the setup through the first four rounds, how uh, he kept going to the body, kept going to the body and then changed it up and landed the outrageous shot that knocks anything out. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. It was, uh, it was one of those. You know, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of stuff banded around about whether it was a lucky punch or a punch from the gods. I think you can't argue that when it was so well executed. I mean, Alexander Povetkin, 30 years in that Soviet system, he his muscle memory alone was able to throw such a perfect shot. Yeah, well, that's it. It's it's not a lucky punch. Not when you've you've done it before. You've seen him do it before, and. He was. He set it up for four rounds, and then when he was still hurt, when he was hurt and he could still execute it, it's not look. That's just being the man he is, the boxer he is at forty-one years old, forty years old, whatever he was on the night. He just knew what he was doing. He knows what he knows how to be in a ring and knows how to throw the punch that he needs to land, and he's landed an absolute outrageous shot. Absolutely. And I was thinking about the way he set it up. And even though he was hurt, you know, he's clearly spotted that weakness. You know, Dylan White does, he labours forward on his front foot. And although he was intelligently defending himself, it, it, you know, obviously AJ stopped him with the uppercut. He's been hurt a couple of times with that uppercut because he, he throws his power with heavy weight on his front foot. And Alexander Povetkin seen that and thought, you know, a good boxer like me, I can sneak an uppercut to the middle there. And how he's done it with being knocked down twice in the previous round to then execute that perfect and exploit a flaw that's so minuscule, but to exploit it with such pinpoint accuracy, you've just got to give him massive props. It was such an incredible finish. Yeah, I agree. And the fact that even after he got dropped the first time, which obviously weren't a big knockdown, but he still didn't look for it. He didn't go searching for it. He's obviously had that in his locker. He's trained it and he knew it had come and he knew the gap and he knew the opening had come at the right time. And to still have the composure under the pressure he was under, getting beat up, really, for four rounds. And he just stayed composed and waited for the perfect moment to land the perfect shot to win the belt. Exactly. And you've got that. A lot of people, when they get flustered, when they've been knocked down, when they're losing, when they know. So, you know, if you've been dropped twice in that, Alexander Povetkin knows the scoring system. He's been dropped twice. He's now, after three, after four rounds, he's essentially six, seven rounds down. You know, he's got to come back with something big. But he has the composure not to rush. You know, it's not about, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at this guy to try and, like, find my feet again in this fight. You know, it was, no, I'm going to look for the punch that we've drilled. I want to be sensible, clever, composed. And it was all of those things. And it led to what is, for me, knockout of the year now. Yeah, it is It is for me. Um, after we had knockout of the year last week on the show we were talking about. Um, and this week it's been beat. Um, it's, it was just... Yeah, it's just a perfect shot. There's no luck in it whatsoever, in my opinion. It was he set it up, his movement to to get into the position of landing the shot. Just everything about it was. If you wanted to show a young kid how to land an uppercut, you just re- replay that over and over again. It it was Mike Tyson esque, genuinely. It was that good. And coming from a man who you say is, is 41 years of age, you know he's been through the ringer time and time again. You know he's he's been knocked out by AJ. He's had he's been comprehensively beaten by Klitschko, you know, he's had these ups and downs and then to come back in such a weird environment and then pull out such an kind of an enormous performance, that kind of ground shattering performance against Dylan White, who was, you know, it was the crown prince of, of ready for his title shot. You know, he was the, the poster boy for this man's next. And then to go in and upset the apple cart like that. I mean, it's just, it's it, with one punch as well. It's absolutely stunning from Povetkin. Yeah. It's, it's just brilliant. It's, it, you can say he old manned him. In the end, he just he, he just knew he knows his way around the ring, and he don't panic. And it shows why only two world class components of uh, opponents have beat him. Um, he's he's never he's never lost a fight he should have won. Ever, um, the Michael Hunter one 
possibly people might have give it to Michael Hunter. I think I probably had Michael Hunter a couple of rounds up, but he's never on paper actually lost a fight that he's gone in and it's even been a 50-50. He was... He was, it had been a 4-5 to 1 shot against Klitschko and probably further out against AJ. Um, if, if, he's just a dangerous man. He's, he's, he's so underestimated. He always has been, though. He's always been a test for anyone he fights. He always will be until he retires. Yeah, I agree. And with a performance like that, why not go on and try and, you know, I'm sure he's got George Foreman's record of, you know, being the oldest heavyweight champion at 45. You know, when you're delivering performances like that at 41, you've got to have that, those sort of things in sight. You know, I'm sure Povetkin's got ambitions to be, you know, a record breaker in that sense. Because if White's ready for a title shot and then Povetkin does that to him, where does that put Povetkin? Yeah, I think the only issue with Povetkin is that it's now Tyson Fury. If he'd have done this a year ago and got, the wilder shot, it could have been a different story because he can be wide open to that. And he could have, he could have just been all wrong for him. A bit like Ortiz was, but he's better than Ortiz. I'm actually going to go back to that now because there is an issue with, you know, all our praise of Povetkin. We'll have our five minutes praising Povetkin because it's his hour to shine. But he had a shot against Deontay Wilder and he failed a drugs test. Do you think that Alexander Povetkin, we should caveat his achievements with those failed drug, drug tests because he is a proven cheat in the past. And I feel like as much as we were excited about that and giving him credit where credit is due, uh, I think we also do have to kind of mention that because he did have a shot against Deontay Wilder and he squandered it by taking performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. And any any fighter that takes drugs will always have that asterisk next to the name uh, in, 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 in memory. It, but I think he's just one that got caught. I think there's so many out there that are that are on it. You can't you can't name names because you it's it's not not fair to because you've got no evidence. But they've all been accused of it. They've all had A samples fail, B samples pass, uh, bans that have been revoked. There's so many of them out there that it's it's almost the norm. Now, it's very rarely you see a fighter and you don't have that second thought in your mind anymore. I don't know. I I, I think it it definitely takes away from what he's done in the past, but he was clean in that fight. He was 41 years old and he's gone to the WBC number one, literally in the back garden, and (laughs) took him out. Uh, Absolutely. You've got to credit that. I think I agree. I agree. I think there has to be there has to be balance on that issue because you can't take away from what Povetkin did on Saturday, but at the same time, it does merit a mention in my opinion because yeah, there is that well, history of failed tests. His, his overall career, it'll be something that people look at and that will come into account. But he, he didn't fail for the for the white fight, and is that because there was no testing? Maybe, but. He, he's, he's done what he's had to do and we can't speculate that he was taking anything at the time. He has in the past, but you, you've just got to give... Judge it from what you can see, not what you believe, in my opinion. And at, at this stage of his career, to, to be pulling out shots like that, I, I think you just credit him. His overall career probably will have a stain on it, but it, yeah, it doesn't take away anything from Saturday night. I think that's, uh, I think that's very fair. But then... As well, somebody who's had their drugs problems, but who, again, is clean for this fight, Dillian White. And I thought he looked phenomenal for four rounds. I thought he was boxing the fight of his life. I thought he looked in tremendous shape. I've always criticised, said, a Dillian White in good shape is a winning Dillian White. And I thought he was showing that. You know, obviously, the two knockdowns, the first one was a little bit a little bit glancing, but the second one was a big, big, hard knockdown. And I thought Dillian White was boxing absolutely fantastically up until the time of the finish. Yeah, well, I, I'd go as far to say the Lucas Brown win, it, it was his best performance up until that point. Um, but he, if you have Tabarez in your in your camp and you're going to be in good condition, it, he's he's done it with Hay. Look at what he even did with Chisora in the short time. He had Chisora. Um, his his strength and condition, his nutrition is second to none in any sport, let alone just boxing. Um, and yeah, he looked in unbelievable shape off the on the scales, out of the ring, and he looked even better in it but it's just one of them things it I, I can't really blame why it, 
it, it's just a punch from the heavens. It was a well-executed punch that a world-class opponent's landed who's got a lot of power. It it just happens. It it, it happens. People lose. It just is what it is. I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree because I don't think Dillian White did anything wrong in leading up to the knockdown. You know, he has some tells and Pavetkin exploited them. I talked about that before. But at the same time, he wasn't committing some egregious sin. That's just the way he fights. And everybody has weaknesses in their game. Nobody's a perfect fighter, but Povetkin spotted that and got him. And it, it wasn't White's fault necessarily. But um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you is AJ said on the Five Live, he interviewed with Five Live afterwards, and he said that White should have jumped on him when he had the chance. And, you know, the White of previous years wouldn't have been so measured and would have jumped on him when he hurt him. I just wanted to get your take on that because I thought AJ was adamant that he should have jumped on him and finished him when he had him hurt at the end of the fourth. I have to disagree with that because I think when the shot landed, there was only 25 seconds left in the round or something. So that when, by the time he'd got up, the ref had cleaned his gloves and asked him if he's all right. I think there was only like 13, 14 seconds left. I, I, don't, I don't see how AJ can say that he should have jumped on him at the end of the fourth. I understand if AJ said, run at him at the start of the fifth and see where his legs are at or whether he's cleared his mind, then that's a different matter. But I, I don't think he even had the time to at the end of the fourth. It'd have, if if he was to do that, it would have just been both of them swinging for 10 seconds. And it it, it have ended up being a Bellew Macabu situation. It could have ended up where one of the left ducks lands. Um, I, 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 I don't think you can discredit why for that for that for that it was it just weren't long enough in the round in my opinion if if that had happened after two minutes and had a minute left he probably would have been white of old and dived all over him I, I think that know. I think that one of the things is for AJ to say that is about the fighter that AJ is for me Anthony Joshua is one of the best finishers in the last thirty years of the heavyweight division you know he's definitely the best finisher in the heavyweight division since. Lennox Lewis, you know, we talk about Deontay Wilder's one punch knockout power, but in terms of combination finisher, being patient and landing the right shots under pressure, I think AJ is one of the best, at least the best since Lennox Lewis. And I think that AJ thinks everybody can do what he can do. And I think that he, he in that situation, so when AJ hurt Povetkin, you know, he immediately knocked him out because he knew which shots to pick. You know, it was a beautiful combination that finished it. I think that it's more of a reflection on how AJ feels about fighting and how AJ believes people, because he's not a boxing scholar is Anthony Joshua. You know, he knows what he can do in the ring. And I think it's more of a reflection on that, maybe, because I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't think White going mental on him at the end of the round would have had too much of an effect. But, I mean, it's all speculation at that point. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd agree with that 100%. And the, the thing why Anthony Joshua is so good at what he does, and you've just mentioned Lennox Lewis, because they throw straight punches. When they get a guy hurt, they're, they're unbelievable at the straight right. And when when... When you're hurt and you're a bit backed into the corner, this, this, the, a lot of boxers will go into a sort of a shell. And that's why it's punches. There's the hooks and they might have just been bouncing off. Whereas that's why I think AJ finishes so people so clinically is that he runs in, they try and cover up and it's just one, two straight down the middle. Um, the biggest highlight for that was the Charles Martin fight and the the other American guy that Wilder ended up knocking out in a round. Brazil. Uh, Brazil. He did the exact, them two shots, perfect. Where you're expecting someone to go gung-ho with hooks and he just throws that straight right down the pipe and he's, you just can't defend it when you're hurt. Uh, White, White hasn't got that, in my opinion. I, I agree. I'll throw in uh, I'll throw in Lennox Lewis versus Frank Bruno and I'll throw in Joe Lewis versus um, Billy Conn. Yeah, exactly the same. You've got your opponent hurt, and you take a step back, and you throw that nice straight right hand down the pipe. You can even add Wilder Fury too, because it it, it is that's that is the finishing instinct. He's been able to throw those crisp clinical right hands to to get the job done. Yeah, well, that's it. It's not a natural instinct is to start almost windmilling when you've got someone hurt. So your natural instinct to defend when you're hurt is to stop the windmilling. So if you can take a breath and and throw that right hand or the the jab jab straight right it's it's very difficult to defend when you're hurt it's difficult to defend anyway but when you're hurt it's even it's even tougher I think that's I think that's absolutely right but we'll uh, we'll move on I, I know we don't like talking about the business side of it too much but obviously 
I need to ask you where this where this leaves the division because obviously White was his thousand day shot for Fury and I wait for that WBC belt. Has Povetkin stolen that? Is he now the mandatory guy, or does all of this make AJ Fury more likely? Is White out the picture now, and there's only two guys left in the division? Um, well, it's the fact we all want to see, but I've, I've read, I believe that he's got a rematch clause, but WBC don't really agree with rematch clauses. I, I don't know how that's working, but they've accepted the rematch clause for Wilder Fury 3. Um, but anyway, it, it, the, the best thing I think it is for all of us boxing fans, if Povetkin and White doesn't happen till December again. The mandatory was a year from the end of the from the diamond belt being awarded, so that would mean that the fight wouldn't have to take place till December twenty twenty one. So that could give June, July, or whenever for Fury and AJ to get it on. And in a crazy roundabout way, the winner of Povetkin White could be in a better position than what they are right now because they could be fighting for every belt rather than just the WBC belt against Fury. Like, if, you, if you're going to have to go up against Fury, you want all the marbles on the table because it's such an uphill task. And, yeah, it could actually work out in Dillian White's favour in a crazy boxing sort of way. <laughs> only in boxing, to steal a kingism. I think it is absolutely only in boxing because... I, I'm on the I'm in the same boat as you. I think it does make AJ Fury more likely because Dylan White was lodging, you know, legal letters and everything and he was well within his rights to do that. He was being mucked around by the WBC. But now there is two heavyweights in the world. That is it. I'm not having anybody else listen. There was two heavyweights. There is a champion, there is Tyson Fury, and there is his number one challenger and a belt holder, Anthony Joshua. That is it now, and that is the fight to make. And I'm, I'm I am i didn't want Dylan White to lose. I like Dylan White. I think he lost very gracefully. I'm a big fan of his. He'll come again, in my opinion. But I think that now we're in a position where we have to have the big one. You know, we can't have a Dempsey Wheels. We can't have a Lewis Bow. We have to have AJ and Fury. We have to have the two best fighters in the world taking each other on. And I think that this makes it easier. And hopefully, like you say, the winner of the of the rematch between Povetkin and White, they get a shot at the champion, whoever that may be. But yeah, no, I think that it, I think it does make it easier. And I'm I'm in a horrible way, kind of quite morbidly glad about it. Because I think that in a fight where neither of them competed, AJ or Fury, they've both won by having Dylan White get knocked out. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just hope it happens. It's, it's not even if it happens because I'm pretty adamant it's going to happen. I just don't want it to be too late. I don't want the Tyson-Lennox arguments and the Mayweather-Pacquiao arguments of he was past it or it was too late. They need to fight now almost um, and it can just be settled because the, one of them is going to decline quicker than the other and I, I'd probably say that could be AJ just because of pure muscle so it, they need to both fight while they're in the prime it, the the, the Bowe-Lewis scenario could happen where it doesn't happen but I, I just don't think it will I think they will fight I just hope they don't hold out for it to be the last paycheck for either of them and they just sail out to the sunset and they both get paid millions and the winner doesn't really matter because they're both past it, they say. Um, a bit like the Mayweather Pacquiao or, yeah, like the Tyson Lewis. I, I, it, it has to happen in the next 18 months. has to. I, 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 I think you speak for all boxing fans on that one. I, I think that everybody wants to see it. We want to see it yesterday. Um, but we'll move down. The, one of the biggest women's fights of all time was on the undercard, the rematch of Taylor Pursuit. Uh First of all, was it the right winner? I don't think it was. Um, and, and I know that... But I just believe that... Pursuing pushed the pace. And I know that's not what it's all about. And I, and she pushed her fight onto the... Onto Taylor. But I... And I understand that people have the argument that Taylor landed the better shots, which she did. But I don't think there was enough of them to overcompensate for how much pressure and just nastiness Pursuit had in her. She made Katie Taylor look visually uncomfortable in there. Um, Taylor, it, that's not how she should fight. She couldn't make that easier for herself. But she didn't because Pursuit didn't allow her to. I, I, I believe that if, if you're going to give it to the better landed shots, the shots have got to mean something. It's not just the pretty shots that 
I don't think she ever stopped her in the tracks. She never made her legs wobble. She never even disheartened her in any way, in my opinion. The the biggest disheartening that Pursuing got was the head clash that bust her eye up. I'm going to disagree slightly. Um, yeah, I'm going to disagree slightly because I'm. I think it is what you like. I think there is an element of what you like. So I, I tend to favour the boxer. I think the person who's doing the cleaner work, who is boxing better, wins it no matter who's pushing the pace. And therefore, I thought Katie Taylor won by a very small margin. I, I gave it to her by one or two rounds. I didn't think it was the blow away that one of the one of the judges had it. I thought the the, the scoring to give Katie Taylor it by six rounds is. Absolutely yeah, but travesty. That, that was Ian John Lewis, wasn't it? He, he, the way he scored the Chelly Cullen fight was a madness as well. Just, I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, like, a terrible what, night. Whatever he was drinking, I want some because he was not scoring those fights correctly at all. Uh, but yeah, no, his his scorecard was an absolute travesty on this. But at the same time, I do think it, it was. If if they'd have given the draw, I wouldn't have minded. But I would have been I would have been more outraged if they gave it to Pursuit than if they gave it to Taylor, in my opinion. I thought Katie Taylor's inside the pocket work, her punch radar, her awareness of the punches that are coming is far better than Pursuit's. Like Pursuit was pushing the pace and she was throwing them more of the shots and bigger shots, but she doesn't have that inbuilt ability, uh, that boxing brain that we're used to seeing from Katie Taylor. And I think Katie Taylor did it more convincingly this time than the first time. Uh, it's never going to be an easy night. You know, the bull and the matador, but when the bull's like Pursuit, you know, it's a very, very difficult night. And I think that stylistically, Katie Taylor's always going to have a difficult time. They fight a hundred times, it's going to be close. Yeah. But I thought Katie Taylor did just enough, if I'm honest. I thought in the later rounds, she came on a little bit stronger and she started to get into the rhythm and, and make Pursuit miss more. And uh, yeah, I thought she nicked it. But again, the scorecards were not. Yeah. And, and I understand the point and it's not, it's not a point I'd really argue with it, and I I, I would prefer to see a, a boxer if it's just in my opinion that the if you're pushing the pace and the boxer's constantly ta- and the opponent's constantly tagging you and you're not landing nothing and you're starting to slow down and get stopped in your tracks and the boxer just looks clean and fresh and and that that's the point where I agree. But both times they fought. It's been Pursuit's fight, and that's because Pursuit has forced that fight. It's not because of Katie Taylor wanted to do that fight, because she, like, like we've both just said there, she she should be able to just jab her head off and make the, the, it's such an easy night for her. But Pursuit is so persistent and she's so strong, and she didn't as as good as Katie Taylor is, and as good as well as yeah, as good as she is, and as, as the shots that she landed. I don't think she ever really caught a flush, flush or anything that made me sit back and think, wow, that's Katie Taylor. I don't think there was any of that. I don't think it was. And that's why I had Pursuing, because I don't think the quality of work that Katie Taylor did, which was better than Pursuing's, I'll agree with that. But I don't think it was good enough to overshadow what Pursuing did, just in my opinion. Um, if, if you're constantly tagging a fighter like Mayweather used to and the ch- constantly coming in like he did with Canelo, that's a different story because it's still your pace, even though they look like they're pushing the pace. You're still fighting at your own rhythm, your own pace. But Kate, I don't think Katie Taylor had any of that. I don't think she was in her own rhythm. She weren't in a pocket. She weren't happy with the way the fight was going. And that's why I believe Pursuit nicked it. Some of that I do want to add there that Andy Lee picked up on on the BBC uh, Five Live commentary. If you haven't listened to that, it's incredible. Mike Costello is the best sports journalist in the world. But Andy Lee is a phenomenal analyst yeah, as well. Yeah. And he talked about Katie Taylor's upright exits. And once, I, once I'd heard that and then I'd watched it back today when it came live, I was like, it is. She, she backs out in such straight lines with her head up. And when you're trading with, a, with an inside fighter, with an animal like Pursuit, that you're going to get tagged and they were always the best shots that she was landing. And I just, I'm not sure how much Katie Taylor has left. She's, she's getting on in years. I know it's not polite, but she's getting on in the years and I'm really not sure what she has left. I know she fought well and I thought she won. I, if you get in there with, you know, somebody like, uh, I don't know, anybody in and around, if you get in with a real, I know Pursuit is, is a big puncher, but if somebody can really tag you on the way out, you know, maybe a Terry Harper, who's got big power, or Tasha Jonas, who also proved she had big power the other week. Um, if you get in there with like that and you exit back with your chin in the air, 
you could really cause yourself some trouble. And I think that that's something that, that we've got to really look out for for Katie Taylor. But I just want to ask you, how much does Katie Taylor have left? Because for me, as of Saturday night, even though I had a win in, I don't think it's that much. Um, I'd, I'd slightly disagree. I think that the upright exits come from tiredness. And when you're tired, you, your brain is just not what it is. And I, I think that Katie, sometimes you just get someone that's all wrong for you and like styles make fights. I think Terry Harper would try and box Katie Taylor. And I think Tasha Jonas would try and box Katie Taylor. They'd be more aggressive, but they wouldn't be pursuing aggressive. And I think Katie Taylor would be able to dance around them better and not draw herself into the point where six rounds in, she's blowing a bit. She's uncomfortable. They've clashed heads. She can't really get off what she wants to do. She She's not... Katie Taylor's a rhythm fighter. She's very... If she starts one, two, three rounds and starts picking you off, you haven't got a chance. No woman in no woman in boxing will have a chance. If she hits her rhythm early and just gets into a stride, I, I, I don't think many I don't think many women fighters will have a, a hope of even catching her. But Pursuing is that persistent. She just jumps on her early. Don't let her get set. Don't let her get in a rhythm. I think it's just the old boxing saying that styles make fights and I think she's all wrong for her. I don't think Terry Harper... I think she could do what Pursuit does, but she respects the game and the art of boxing more than Pursuit does. Pursuit's a brawler in a boxing ring. I don't think Terry Harper is, is quite that. Or Tasha Jonas. I think, I think it's a very interesting stylistic point. What do you think about the prospective opponents? Because obviously we've had Amanda Serrano chucked around. She was meant to fight around Amanda Serrano on that card. And the other one that's been... Uh, touted is a rematch against Jessica McCaskill at welterweight because obviously McCaskill's just dethroned Brackhouse at welterweight if Katie Taylor wants to move up and go for all the marbles at welterweight against the girl she's already beat they're the fights that are being talked about more than say the Harper one and Jonas one yeah um, where, where do you think Katie Taylor stacks up in those fights because I rate her chances in both of those fights but I think it's one and done yeah I for me I'd like to see her go up beat McCaskill again and then call it a day, two-weight two unified champion or uh, two-weight world champion or whatever. Is she already two, maybe? It, no, she's just... So that would it'd be three, it's three at welterweight, yeah. yeah. So she'd be three-weight world champion. Um, and I'd like to see a call it a day at that. But I think that Serrano would be all over it now. I think she'd fancy it. Um. I, did she duck out? You've seen the exchange on Twitter between her, her and Katie Taylor. It it looked like she she bottled it a bit, um, in my opinion. But I think after watching Saturday night, I think she might be all over that. And I think Katie Taylor might. Katie Taylor's very proud, so she might not want to. Even though it looks good having the three belts for her personal pride, she might believe that it's better just to beat Serrano than it is to beat another a person she's already beat and just pick up another couple of belts. That might not be her thinking because she's she's mentally very strong and she's a very proud athlete. I agree with you in terms of Katie Taylor, what Katie Taylor might want. But if I mean if I'm Eddie Hearn and we've had sour negotiations with Serrano and Team Serrano and Eddie represents McCaskill and is ready to put that on, and Kate Taylor's already won. I think that the shrewd business move, and what I actually think will happen, is McCaskill and out. I think you're right. I think she's gonna. Kate Taylor's going to walk off with more belts than she can even hold up and then go, right, I'm the greatest female fighter of all time. See ya. I think that's what's happening. I think that that's the plan. Because um, I think the plan was if Brackhouse had won, then it was Brackhouse and out. I think that they're the... Uh, that's the fight, and I don't think Katie Taylor's got le- that much left. But I think she does beat uh, she does beat uh, McCaskill. But we also had uh, Luther Clay versus uh, Congo. Um, lovely pair of left hooks from uh, from Chris Congo. I, I enjoyed that fight, to be honest. Um, but yeah, the left hooks were brilliant. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed that fight. I thought both were brilliant. I felt I, I almost felt sorry. Um, for Clay, he just it reminded me of the Acoli Isaac Chamberlain fight where he just wasn't tall enough, he wasn't big enough, um, he just couldn't get get anything off. But Congo looks the real deal. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I thought Chris Congo did very, very well. Luther Clay fought with, you know, a massive, massive amount of heart. But yeah, you're right. I, I wonder if he can cut to 140 because he's the right size for a 140, not a 147. I think that Chris Congo used everything, the, every physical advantage he had. He imposed it and he did that well. And that's that's something that a lot of fighters can't do and they can't do it and then push for the knockout. You know, we all complain about Lawrence Coley. That's, he, that's his bread and butter. Um, but I thought Congo did it in a quite an attractive way. And I think he's proved that he's definitely a legit at British level. And I think a, a great win over Luther Clay. But I hope Luther Clay can come again, but I hope he can come at, at junior welterweight. Yeah, I agree. But it might be that Congo goes the other way because he's very big for the weight as well. So he, it's he, very he, true. But, but he's, then he's it, like six one, isn't he? Six foot six one. He's, yeah, he's, he's tall, isn't he? But it's it's a it's a shark tank up at one five well, four that, uh, at uh, junior middleweight. Well, that's it. Does he? But he could he could with the height he's got, he could go and have a little go because it wouldn't be a disgrace. He could go up there and have a a Metcalf fight, a Fowler fight, or something like that. And if it don't work out, he was like testing the waters. I'm back to where I was. Drop back down. I, I don't know. I think he might fancy it going up because it's 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 the weight you want to be in if you're a British fighter and you want to be the best. It's the best weight we've got. It, I agree. I agree. I think it's a I think it's a tempting proposition if you were Chris Congo. But at the same time, with the likes of well, Chris Jenkins and Conor Ben supposedly getting on for the British title, he's the one next on in line, in my opinion. I think he's proved that he's he's as as good as either of those fighters and that he's that he's ready to get in with them whenever whenever it needs to come. So it's they're both exciting divisions and I think that I think that he's he's uh, he's got a really good chance if he does fight for the British welterweight title, which is what he's called for in the aftermath. Yeah, I do. I, I think he has got a he's 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 a good fighter and the, at them low weights it's very tough when you're fighting someone tall and rangy. Um yeah, I think he's got a chance with any of them. My only issue is that at times he let Clay get inside. He can't let Ben get inside. Even as much of a novice as Ben is right now, he's powerful, he's quick, and he's he's just nasty. If you let him get inside your jab by throwing it out lazy, it could be dangerous. I know he didn't do that many times. I'm, he, he, he never, but he was letting... Clay get in and work the body quite often, really. But he he never got hurt. He never got tagged. He, yeah, he was he was in complete control. Maybe because he knew Clay didn't have the power to hurt him. That he yeah. But if Conor Ben can get inside that jab of someone taller, it, that's dangerous. I agree. I think I think I think getting inside probably reflects quality of Luther Clay more than a fault in Conor. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, 100%. but but at the same time, you are absolutely right in that Conor Ben is a different animal in terms of his power. Um, I know he's I know he's raw. He's really really raw. He doesn't have the best boxing skills. If you come and box him, yet yeah, you know you'll probably beat Conor Ben if you box him. But if you let him touch you, it's going to work. You know, he's a he's a little ball of muscle. He's extremely fit. He's extremely strong, and you know, he almost whacks like his dad. Do you yeah. know what I mean? He's got a he has got and it's how explosive he is with it as well. It just turns it on absolutely. like a switch. Testament to his fitness yeah. as well, and his fitness and his cardio and his strength, and and also having Tony Sims in his corner. You know, he's got a proper boxing trainer. He's not one of these vanity projects like some of the you know people with big names are. Um, but I think that's a fantastic fight next for. Uh, for Congo, if if Ben and Jenkins doesn't happen, yeah, I, I think it's yeah, it's a great fight for both. I think they, they, you just I, I'm and I'm I, I think that's the biggest thing that's coming out of this fight camp and since COVID that everyone's had to kind of accelerate. So these fights might happen. They, this Congo and Ben, there's no chance we'd have seen that for at least eighteen months. But it might happen next because everyone's had six months took off the career. I totally agree. I think I think it's one of those things. I, I think that uh, the behind closed doors phenomenon. We're having a fight. We're having fight weeks every week. You know, Buncey keeps saying it's this is the busiest August in British boxing history, and he's absolutely right. August, September, October will be the busiest fight sports we've most fight sports we've ever had, despite having no fans, because we're all rushing. We've got so many fighters; they all need to get back yeah. out. Um, but we move on then to uh, the Savage who took on uh, Sean Dell Winters. Are you on the Babich hype train? Not even slightly, 
to be honest. <laughs> um, I, he's, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know what he's got. He's, he's not Tata Cruz away. He's not very good. With all, with without yeah. trying to sound too disrespectful, uh, it, it would be absolute madness to put him anywhere near Hergovic or Dave Allen. Uh, yeah, he'd, he'd get destroyed by both. I wholeheartedly agree. I'm glad you didn't come in. Like, no, he's the second <laughs> coming. I, I was worried. We hadn't, we hadn't discussed this, but no, I am. Who on earth are the 13 people they found for Shondell Winters to beat? What is he doing? Like, what but is he doing? I think every it. win Shondell Winters has ever had is cruisers. So he might be just yeah, big and powerful not... there and land shots. I don't know. He's not a legit heavyweight fighter, and Babich is so raw. You know, fair enough, he's got good power, he's a big old lump, but God, he cannot, he cannot fight. And like you say, Hergovic blows him out in a round. Dave Allen probably makes it difficult for himself and blows him out in four. Like, but that's only because it's Dave Allen and he always makes it difficult for yeah. himself. Um, but if Allen boxes properly, the, the Allen that fought Brown knocks him out in 10 seconds. It's... yeah. Allen Babich is... We'd love a heavyweight that can come and knock somebody out, but he's not there yet. And I know he's 29, but for me, he reminds me of uh, David Adelaide who fights on, on Saturday. You know, he's a big raw lump. He's got very few skills, but he's on his way. And, you know, if he fights, say, Tom Little next, who's like 10 and 10 or something... Fair enough, but he's not ready for a legit heavyweight. He's not a legit heavyweight. No, I, and I think that the the kind I'd of say Adelaide is a level above him. Personally, after watching Adelaide a couple of weeks ago, I, I do actually like the look of him. I like the look of him as a twenty-three yeah, year old. Yeah, of course. Right, yeah. but Babich is twenty-nine. Right, I put them in about the same level, and you know, one of them's got six years to grow and build before he's a world title fighter. You know, Babich is on about fighting Hergovic next. No, 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 no. You'll get sparked. You'll I get absolutely I, bingoed. If if Tom Little turns up, that's not an easy fight for him. No, that's for me an evenly matched fight. You know, if he wants, if he were saying no easy fights, Tom Little's a fairly evenly matched fight, you know, because anybody above Tom Little will bingo him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. I and and the, the, wor- the worst thing is, the first, the, the fight week leading up to it, I was so excited to see him fight. There was talk of how powerful he was and how he was on the doors in Croatia. And if he was on the doors, there was no trouble in the roughest parts of Croatia, that he was some animal. And I was like, oh, can't wait for this. And he just came walking forward like like he was having a fight in the pub. Exactly. It was like, he looked like he's somewhere out of Weatherspoon's car park. <laughs> I, did, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sold at all, no. Um, but then we'll move on to the, the first fight of the night, which was uh, Cullen Chelly. We mentioned the scoring. Absolutely abysmal scorecard. It was ridiculous. Um, I thought, I actually liked I, I, I the fight a little bit. It was pretty entertaining, but I think Chelly comfortably won. I agree. I agree. I don't think either of them were particularly amazing to write home about. It wasn't, you know, it was a good enough fight to start the car, but it wasn't, didn't light the world on fire. But, Everyone knows that Zach Chelly won that fight. Yeah, and it and the, the the issue was that it wasn't even close. Like the first four rounds, probably two all. You could have given it three one Cullen, but he didn't win any of the last six seven rounds. He didn't even get close. Last six rounds. No, exactly. It was, you know, it was a, it was a pretty good performance from Zach Chelly. And, you know, it, again, I'm, I don't want to overhype the fight. You know, it wasn't as good as the top two fights. But, you know, when you watch a boxing match, we know who's won that boxing match most of the time. You know, there's very few where I would say probably one in 10 where you debate the scoring. But this one was absolutely not going to be one of those. You know, everyone was like, Zach Chelly did very well. You know, Cullen fought bravely first couple of rounds, but he got out of class later on down the stretch. It was, a, it was cut and dry. And yet, still, we managed to muck it up. Yeah, I know. And it was um, even John Lewis's scorecard again. He had a terrible <laughs> night. Like, yeah, he was. He had an awful night because he, he he had um, what was the other one that he he scored? He scored. Oh, he scored the Katie Taylor by like six rounds and all, didn't he? But mm. yeah, he just had a shocker of a night. He must have been sat behind one of the fireworks or something. <laughs> I think there's got to be some sort of accountability. I really do because I think we've we've identified somebody who has had put in two bad scorecards right on one night, 
how do we fix this? I think you have to have some sort of interview process with the board where you say, well, what were you watching? And we'll sit down and you can sit down with somebody who's, you know, like, I don't know, sit down with Robert Smith, say, who's the director of the British Boxing Board of Control and say, look, I scored this round for him because this round for him because and we can review their performance because otherwise this isn't going to stop happening. Yeah, I agree. But um, the only issue is that it's time and money. It'd, it'd take forever. But I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what we can do about it, but something has to change because some of these, we're, we're almost getting tarred with the same brushes what Germany used to have. Like, there's going to yeah. be young lads like that, even Costa Zoo's boy, that Tim Tazoo, who he beat Jeff Horn, I think, was it the other day? Um, he's not going to want to come and try and win a title in Britain because he's just going to get shafted. And it's getting to that point where we're becoming the new Germany. We're becoming the new MSG, if you're Canelo. Uh, like, some of them are getting ridiculous. Like, I, I know the Chelly Cullen one isn't isn't the same scenario as that but it's just the scoring is it's it's just beyond outrageous like you like you said there should be accountability even if it's an interview afterwards and after the fight where the the boxers get their interview and Eddie Earn or whoever gets his interview and then just Darren Barker whoever says right that was my scorecard how did you get yours and then he can explain it and I know that's putting him on the spot a bit but if if they know they have to explain it after the fight, it might change the thinking. I agree, I agree. But also, I have I do have faith in Robert Smith, the British Boxing Board of Control, in terms of safety regulations and things like that, we're the best in the world. And yeah. I know we have a scoring problem at the moment. So I just, I really hope, and, you know, I'm sure he's listening because this is the biggest boxing podcast in the world. <laughs> but if, if, if it does, if my message does get out, do you know what I mean? It would just be, you know, you are the best, prove it. Do you know what I mean? And, we can look to some sort of solution because we need it and we need it as soon as possible because we can't have young lads like Zach Shelley getting robbed again. No, we can't. And we, we, we can't have that name. We can't have that sticker attached to us that we're going to rob people because it's not what we've ever done. Exactly, because when was the last time we had since, well, I know when it was, it was, it was Dusseldorf, Tyson Fury, Vladimir Klitschko. That's the last time we had a big fight in Germany, isn't it? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Because they got they got tired with the brush, and then big fights stopped coming. And currently, we're the boxing capital of the world. We need to keep we need to keep it that way with having good scores, so people can come here and get good decisions. Yeah, well, that's it. Like I, I think Paul Smith got robbed over there. Um, I did Macklin. A few, a few of them got robbed over there, didn't they? Macklin and Barker both got robbed. Macklin and Barker. That's it. Yeah, yeah, they got robbed. Yeah, yeah, awful. Right. Well, we'll move into. The Queensbury promotion show, which is this Saturday, you know, is the return of Dynamite Daniel Dubois against uh, Ricardo Schneiders. Uh, I think this is the uh, it's the DDD show, isn't it? You know, it's it's another one where we roll out an opponent. Yeah, well, I, I actually when I seen it get um, get made, I had a look at his record, and he's only he's he's, he's only beat cruiserweights. He's well, he's only knocked out cruiserweights. Um, he's knocked out what. I think it was six or seven of his opponents or something. And it's one of them where there's just no risk whatsoever. Even if Dubois has an off night and drops his hands and gets caught flush, he's he's not going down. He's not getting hurt. because, And I, I'm not mad at that, really. It, we knew what we were getting. We knew the promoting the Joyce-Dubois fight in the preparation to the Joyce-Dubois separate fights. So... We, there was always going to be pointless, really, fights. It's just it's just nice to see Dubois knock someone out again. Look forward to seeing yeah. that. I dug, into, I dug into this Snyder's record, 18-1. and one, And of, of people with winning records and more than 10 fights, he's only fought one. So he's only fought guys with winning records of under 10 fights or guys with losing records. And that guy beat him <laughs> yeah so this guy the guy brings absolutely nothing to the table uh i think that again we see we see dubois who i'm i'm a believer i'm on the dubois train i, I think it's fantastic and i think it's this is you know go on daniel go and eat it's like a, a wolf and a lamb just go and do your job and then we've got one more for the highlight reel to promote what is going to probably be a december showdown with joyce yeah and well that's it and i think it's it, it'll just be a confidence thing 
got out there, wiped someone out in 30 seconds, uh, a few couple of minutes max. And then it's flowing then. He's he's confident. He goes into his next training camp unhurt. No doubts in his mind. Just goes in and and then he gets to fight Joyce. At, he's at his pinnacle right now. I, I, I'm not mad at it. It is what it is. I agree. It's it's not one that I'm particularly excited about. It's not like White Pavekin last week. I'm not it's not gonna set the world on fire, but again, there's no harm. You know, he's he's a young lad, he's he's twenty, twenty two, he's not got the experience yet. Why not give him a few more? And hopefully he gets a couple of rounds. I'd love for him to get five, six rounds out of this kid because that's what he needs. But at the same time, he'll willy willy eck. He'll he'll destroy him. He's he's an animal. I think Dubois has got this one in the bag and yeah. I would be really surprised if it goes past three. Yeah, I agree. And the, but um on the Dubois thing, they need to stop letting him talk. Yeah. They need to just <laughs> lock him away. I think I seen I think I seen you write it the other day saying just it was me, have yeah. him the Tyson again. And I was like, yeah. that is perfect. Just let him come out, uncage him, let him smash someone up. But um yeah, and just like the Tyson used to be, and just let him go and just smash people up and let his knockouts do his talking and let people get hyped up because because they don't know anything about him, because they don't hear him talk. Like it, it'd be a completely sh- it'd be a complete shift now. It'd be the opposite. So it'd probably be more intriguing now than it was then. Because no one, everyone's talking, everyone's on social media, everyone's getting interviewed by AFL. Like, I don't know. I totally, well, I tweet, it's one of my biggest tweets for a while. It was like about 200 people got on it. And it's one of those ones, it was like, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. Tyson used to walk in, growl, knock somebody out in five seconds, growl again and piss off. No, no, he didn't even have a tune on his first few fights. He literally, no robe, no socks. Black shorts, black boots, walk in, destroy, leave. And yeah. it was just that air of mystery. Is That's what set up Tyson. You know, we don't think of the Tyson that had DMX and a tattoo on his face fighting Lennox Lewis and getting knocked out. No, we think of that young Tyson storming to the ring. And Dubois is that young Tyson now. He's the same age now as when Tyson won the title. He should be growling at the camera, walking in, smashing the kid, and walking out. Because Tyson didn't fight great fighters. On his way up, before Burbick, he fought... Basically, no one. Yeah, he was not. You know, he was fighting lads like like Dubois fighting now, but he managed to embed himself in the cultural ethos with mystery. And I think Dubois needs that mystery. And because he seems a lovely lad, and I'm sure he's great. He's, I'm sure without the cameras on, he's great. But he's too camera shy. We need to find a strategy around that. And for me, it's the Tyson thing. Yeah, I agree. I'd agree. I 100 agree. And I, I don't think it's a fault of it. Like you said, he he probably isn't a lovely lad, but he's just not. I, I, I'd probably be the same if someone just threw a camera in my face and said, "Are oh, you going to knock this kid out?" I'd be like, "I'll hit him," <laughs> and that's sort of what he says, isn't it? Like, I'll, yeah. I'll punch him and he won't get up, and it's like, yeah. "Oh my god!" Exactly, exactly. It's a difficult one, but we'll move on to my old mate Sonny. Uh, he's taking on uh, Thomas Asomba, uh, who is ten and five. Uh, again, another one that we don't expect to be particularly competitive. No, um, you're next up, aren't you? You're next in line for the sunny, the sunny beat. I think he weighs, weighs about as much as my left leg, but it's still battling. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I, I want to see Sonny start moving now. Um, I, I, I like Sonny. I think he's brilliant. And I've, I think I've, people have seen it before. I genuinely believe as a, as a boxer, he's better than his brother from what I've seen. Um, just, just pure skill set wise, but he just needs to start getting moved up now. Start going. He needs to break into that top ten. Go and fight the Javier Cintrons or the Fernando Martinezes and people like that, or even try and test himself like against a Wag a Wangek or someone who bangs hard and see. I, I think he just needs to have a just let him go, un, unleash him and just see what he's all about because I think he's pure class. Personally, I I agree. I think his footwork is phenomenal. I think that his footwork is some of the best we've seen in British boxing in recent times. But I do have reservations about his power because you know it's the smaller weights are not like they used to be. You know, people with no power aren't surviving in the same way that they used to be. You know, in the old days, if you were a you know if you were a, a fly or a super fly, you could get away with just popping and moving. You know, Ricardo Lopez style. But 
nowadays, you know, you've got the likes of a new A at Bantamweight who's come through the flyweight weight classes and things like that. You know, you have to have power. And I, I could do question Tony's power, but I don't foresee him having any problems. But I mean, I'll, I'm buying a Cameroonian jersey off the internet anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're well up for it. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree with the, with the power, but I don't think he's, he's not a knockout artist, but if he, if he hits people, they know they've been it. He's not like, I can't, no names come to the head, but where they just get walked through because they've got no power at all. I believe Sonny isn't a big puncher at all, but that that's because he, he never really sets himself to punch. I think when he when he does set himself and and bang, I think I think people know. I think people are stood up and they understand that they've been it. Um, I think he's just so elusive, and I, I, that's why I want to see him go up. I, I'm. I'm almost getting bored of him dancing around and just destroying guys because he's just far his level ability is just unbelievable. He's pure technique. I want to see him in with a guy like that's why I mentioned Wangek that can he get his respect and can he stop him coming forward and what happens if he does get clipped on the chin? We don't know because he never does. Right, it's just my personal opinion. I think I think he's at a situation now where keep gradually rising him up could end up with a big shock and a, a, a bang. I think he should really do what his brother did, which isn't hasn't harmed his brother at all. Thrown in the deep end with a top ten opponent, maybe not the top five or the UFIs, but seven to ten, seven to fifteen, and go and have a little go at that. And then if you get beat, you're still only fourteen and all when you can come again. He's he's still young. 23, 24 year old. Like I don't know, I, I I think it might be a hindrance. Some some people holding them back and letting them develop slowly is a good thing. But I think when you're just pure technical and you dance around opponents, you're not knocking people out. I think it can be a hindrance because when you get in there with someone that is technically not as good as you but close and bangs harder than you, you might the complacency might set in and then you might get clipped on the chin and it's game over. Yeah, I think I think I think Rungva size is a step too far, in my opinion. But I think that I think that he's on his way up there, and I, I seriously do. I think he's world level. I think his his footwork is is phenomenal, and you have to give credit where credit's due, despite how much it pains me. Uh, but he is he is a good he is a good he's a good little fighter, and if if he can develop that power and work up and not get not get cocky and not get caught, because if he fight if he gets caught against Rungva size, he's out. You know, even the Rungva side looked terrible in his last performance. Yeah, you know, it's not. He's a different level, and you know we saw it against Yafai and Chocolatito. You know Yafai was world level, and then there's a level above world level, isn't there? And Sonny Edwards is playing with lads below at British level. You're toying with them, and you don't want to get that bully mentality where I toy with people, and then suddenly you stood in front of Cal Yafai, well, Juan Manuel Estrada, and that that's why I believe now at 24 year old, it massively helped Charlie to do that. That he got thrown in at the deep end he got beat he got got beat up pretty bad but it never it never hurt him it, it made him a better fighter because he realised that dancing around an opponent at, at a higher level doesn't work you need to stand you need to stamp your authority and you need to hurt them so they know that they can't just come running at you because not only are you going to make them look foolish with your footwork you're going to be bang them hard when they step into you and I think Sonny Edwards hasn't got that yet. He doesn't plant his feet enough. He's he's just like you said. He's just toying with lads. I think he needs to step up and see what it's like to have a real live opponent. And yeah, I'd agree that the, some of the ones I've mentioned are too high. But I, I think these fifteen to seven in 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 the in the world that that he could have a right good go at and see where he's at. I agree. I think that that's the sensible thing. But then we move on to for what for me is fight of the night by far. It's the most 50-50 fight on this card. And that's Maxwell versus Hughes. Sam Maxwell, Joe Hughes. I think this is a great fight. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, Maxwell obviously pulled out that unbelievable knockout in the 12th. And then he's since won a couple of decent fights. Um, Hughes has lost most of the time when he stepped up a level. But I think his step up in levels in the fights that he's lost have all been better opponents than Maxwell. Um, I think is it Robbie, Robbie Davis Jr. Um, 
I can't think off the top of my head who he's fought. But, um, Sandor Martin last time out. For the, so he's fought twice the European title and come very, very close in both of those fights. Yeah, and against, I'd probably say higher opposition than Sam Maxwell is right now, personally. Without um, a doubt. And then, yeah, you've even got uh, Anthony Egypt. He, he's lost to him. I've just pulled his box back up there. Jack Catterall. Death. Jack Catterall's probably Britain's number two and only second to an elite level fighter and pound for pound top five ten um in Josh Taylor. So he's he's only lost to very, very good fighters. Um and Maxwell in that one way pulled out the knockout. He's shown he can be he can be danced around a little bit. Was it Sidiri? Was it? I think it yeah. was. Yeah. Um he was what? Probably about eight rounds up. Yeah, if not more, because he had two knockdowns as well. No, Today yeah. he knocked Sam Maxwell down twice. It's it's one of those, I think it's because Sam Maxwell's definitely the one on the way up and he's got the big power. But Joe Hughes has just got a wealth of experience, which you can't buy. You know, being in with elite level guys, Jack Cattrall is elite, Robbie Davis Jr. is elite. You know, these guys are going for world titles. Like They're not British level anymore. They're European and world level. They're looking for world honours. You know, Jack Cattrall's been WBO mandatory for the for what was Mo Hooker's belt, now Ramirez's belt, for nigh on yeah. a year and a half. You know, and I know Joe Hughes got beat, but to be in with guys at that level, like how much experience do you get? How much do you learn from those fights? You know, it's... Yeah, that's it. And and the issue, I think, I, I, I think Joe Hughes could pull, pull through this and win it. Because my, my biggest issue for... Sam Maxwell is that he's yes, he's very powerful. Um but not none of them guys we just mentioned have been able to stop Joe Hughes. He's never been stopped by some very, very good fighters. And he's he's not fought these fighters even some of them even on the way up. I think he just fought Jack Carroll in like his eighteenth, nineteenth fight. So that's the Jack Carroll we're seeing now that he fought. Like he he's he's been in there with some like you said, he's been in there with some very good fighters. And he's just, he's no mug at all. I, I totally agree. I think it's, I think it could be a very difficult night for Sam Maxwell. I think he goes in as the favourite and I can see why with his string of wins and his, and his improvements. But I think if anyone's a potential banana skin, it's former European champion Joe Hughes because he, he, despite his disability where he struggles with his right arm, so he fights predominantly with his jab. Um, he's got a Swiss Army jab. He's hard to stop, and Maxwell has proven that he is somewhat limited at the moment. You know, obviously he's getting better, but I think he is somewhat limited. And I think if anyone's going to exploit it, it's huge. I mean, I think it's a true fifty-fifty. If I'm honest, yeah, I'd agree. It it, it could go anyway. Um, yeah, but like you said, Maxwell is getting better, fight on fight, and there might be a Maxwell might turn up that we've never seen before. There's a definite possibility of that. Um, 100%. So, yeah, like I say, going off the past records and what they've done, my personal opinion, I'd say Joe Hughes is very slight favourite for me. But, again, um, Sam Maxwell is so powerful. And if he's learnt from his mistakes in, in other fights and... Just shot. He just needs to sharpen his tools a little bit. He's, he's, there's nothing wrong with him. He's just he's not very. He's sometimes not very fluid, and he tries to find that big punch too too much. Whereas if if he knows, which might play into his hands against Joe Hughes, because he knows he, 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 the possibility of stopping him is probably slim. So he might go to his boxing, and we might see. Like I said, we might see a completely different Sam Hughes. I, I have a feeling we're going to see a, 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 an improved Sam Maxwell and uh, Danny Vaughan is, coach is a very is a, Danny Vaughan's a very good coach. Now I, I, re, I seriously feel like we could get a different one, so I, I'll put Maxwell a very slight favourite. But yeah, it's a, it's a tight fight. And then the last one is Hutchinson Blackledge. I think Willie Hutchinson's a real deal, light heavyweight out of uh, Dom Ingles. Dom Ingles camp, you know, big hitter, raw, young, but I think he's got real potential to be a, a problem at light heavyweight. Yeah, I remember his debut. Um... I think it was on the Joyce and Lewinson undercard. And David Hay was going crazy about how good he was. Is he still with David Hay? I'm not sure. Uh, he was for a period, but I'm not sure if Haymaker Boxing still exists. I'm, I wouldn't like to comment, but he's definitely signed to Frank Warren. Yeah. But yeah, and ever since that first performance I've seen him, he, he looked brilliant then. And 
he's, he's just got better and better. I do really like him. Um, Black Ledge is a very likable guy. Was a good, tough fighter in his in his pomp, but ever since that left hook of Callum Smith, he's just never been the same. Unfortunately. Exactly, exactly. Right. Well, thank you very much, Bobby. We'll uh, we'll wrap that up there. I hope everyone enjoys the weekend's fights. Make sure to follow Simbox on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, everywhere else. I've got my Throwback Thursday out today. It's about the life and career of Nat Fleischer, the founding editor of The Ring magazine. Make sure to check that out. So finally, thanks again, Bobby. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ian. Take care, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. See you later.